You're listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. That's me, your naturally platinum blonde pop culture connoisseur. I'm the reality TV junkie, self-improvement addict, and host with only the hottest tea spilled fresh all week long. Those balls have gotten you into trouble, though. Oh, you, yeah. They picked us because we're horny. Yeah. Right. And that's your chronic state. 24-7. <laughs> My life has changed so much that it's almost like a completely different life. From the latest news on The Real Housewives. I'm so happy to be here and engage with you. Deep dives into celebrity legal scandals and unfiltered convos with your favorite stars. I've got you covered. And yes, I always keep receipts. Welcome on in, welcome on in, welcome on in, guys. What's going on? Happy Monday. Hopefully you had a wonderful weekend. Hopefully it was filled with lots of no-filter wine. I know my weekend was filled with lots of no-filter wine. We have a lot to break down on the show today. Um, Jen Shaw, the sentencing, some of her post-sentencing behavior. Uh, Lisa Renna announcing that she's leaving Real Houses of Beverly Hills. And then Harry's book, Prince Harry, his book Spare, is coming out this Tuesday. We will be recapping it for book club. I know I said no. I know I said I wasn't interested. But now I'm like, I think we kind of have to just to, you know, continue laughing at it. We'll go over some of the, the biggest, like, things that he's said or that have leaked from the book so far. Because some of them are pretty wild and redonkulous. So we'll go over a couple of those at the end of today's episode. But we'll, we'll dive into the Shaw of it all and the Renna of it all. Um, also, I do have a bonus episode that is now up for, it's now up on the YouTube for all of the Zach Pack members. I talk about getting blocked by housewives. I talk about my recent DMs with hunky chef Stuart O'Keefe. Um, you guys know I had a little crush on him and we were DMing and I'm telling you guys all about that. And, you know, 
especially since he started following me after they broke up and then we were DMing and we were chatting and then meeting Sutton. Okay. And I talk about the Sutton stuff because the toothless on Twitter seem to be really pressed about it. And they're like, how dare you take a photo with Sutton? And I'm just like, wow. Okay. So I'll clarify. I clarify a lot of that on the podcast as well. But I just want to say that like my friend, Evan Real texted me and invited me to a mixer that Sutton was having at her store, Sutton Concept. And he's like, do you want to come to this? And I was like, sure, I'll join you. I'll accompany you at this event, you know? And listen, I don't have beef with Sutton. I think she's a very nice woman. Um, And so we went there and hung out with Sutton and chatted with Sutton. And it was great. And there were other people there. Like, we had a nice time. I went... I had a nice time. Would I have gone if Evan did invite me? Probably not. But I had a guest. I had a friend. He invited me to go. I was like, oh, this will be fun. We caught up with drinks at Pump afterwards. And then, yes, I there was a photo that we took with Sutton, and I posted it on my Instagram story, and people were really upset about that. Here's the thing. Any true listener knows I've always been very clear that I am team the show. I am not team Rinna, and I am not team Erica, even though I've been branded that way. I'm team the show. And I like the show and I like all of them. And yeah, I do personally really enjoy Erica and Rinna, but I also enjoy Sutton. I used to write very hard for her, you know, when she was a friend of. And I was like, we need to give Sutton a diamond. She's been on this show before. So people being like upset and people being like, you, you know, you're so mean to Sutton and you drag her every week. I don't think I drag her every week. I don't. Do I think sometimes there are people that overhype Sutton and Garcelle? Yes, I do. But I've said many nice things about Sutton. So, like, stop being dramatic. It's fine. She's a very nice woman. Very nice lady. This is the first time I ever met her in person. Obviously, she's been on the podcast, so I've done Zoom stuff with her. But she's very, very sweet. She reposted the photo on her Instagram story of us. So that's, you know, there's no beef with Sutton. I don't have beef with Sutton. I still like Erica, and I still like Lisa Rinna. I love them. And I I like Sutton. So it's not that deep, Okay. It's really not that. She also has a really cute t-shirt that says, let the mouse go. That was really cute. And I meant to buy it before I left and I didn't buy it before I left. So I will probably go back to Sutton Concept to buy the shirt to show her some support because she was a very gracious host. And she is a very nice woman. Watching her on the show and having an opinion about the show and doing my job is very different from knowing and meeting somebody in real life and then be very pleasant and nice to me. So Sutton Strack, thank you for being a gracious host. I enjoyed my time. I will be back and I will be purchasing a Let the Mouse Go t-shirt. There we go. Okay, let's dive into it. Okay, so update on the Jen Shaw sentencing because there was it was reported on page six, actually, ironically enough, speaking of Evan Real, it was reported on page six, not by him though. It was reported on page six that after, where, what was the name of the restaurant? After the... um. After the sentencing, later that night, she went out in Midtown with a group of 20 people and they went to dinner. And she like had, I mean, the news article said that they celebrated um, and some people were like, I'm sure she just wanted to be surrounded by good people, people that love her. And she wasn't actually celebrating. And I was just like, really? I mean, who goes out to dinner? First of all, I'm sure Coach and the boy, or actually we know Coach and the boys were with her in court. Um but who goes out to dinner at a fancy restaurant in Midtown with 20 people? That's going to be a very expensive tab. That is not a choice that I would make after sentencing. Okay. It just feels a little tone deaf. It just feels a little, you know, 
not the vibe. I it's again not a choice that I would make. I'm trying to find the name of the restaurant. Um, because I was just like, really? And it was a very, I mean, it was a very nice looking restaurant. And I just feel like, oh yeah, um, no. Why? Oh, it's, uh, it's called, it's an Italian restaurant. It's called Valbella, Valbella at the park in Midtown. I've never been there. Um, so I can't, I can't say anything about it, but I just thought it was a very interesting choice to publicly, like, here's the thing. Go to somebody's home. If you have friends in New York, go to one of their home, you know, order food just to like not be out and flashy. I mean, she literally showed up with her Gucci handbag and her cheetah print outfit. And I'm just like, that's how we're going to court. Like, it's just we're not it, it still doesn't click with her, does it? But now she's like, you know what? I've been sentenced. I'm good. I'm gonna live it up. I'm gonna go party it up. She probably went to the club afterwards. Up in the club, in the club, in the club. So as we know, she was sentenced to six and a half years in federal prison with five years supervised release. She also owes a $6.6 million tab in restitution on top of what's already been seized by the feds, which I believe is about 6.4. So she has an additional 6.6 that she will have to pay back. Pretty sure there's some cash hidden somewhere. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. That's my own speculation, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's some money hidden somewhere and we're going to start to, you know, use that. Also, they outed that Coach Sean makes $600,000 a year annually. They're good. They'll be able to pay that back. He had, makes a good salary. I don't even know why she needed to steal from all the grandmas. That, like, just unnecessary. Greedy and unnecessary. So, a lot of people are comparing Jen Shaw to the Chrisleys, and... They're upset about how the Chrisleys got more. I think Julie got seven years and then Todd got, what, 11, 12 years? So Todd and Julie, they got more time because they went to they went to trial, okay? So what, let's also clarify that Jen Shaw got six and a half years, but she has $6.6 million in restitution. Emily D. Baker broke it down a little better in, in last week's episode, but basically... If you pay more in restitution, you can get a little less time served, right? So some people were serving heavier sentences, but they also had a lot more restitution or a lot less restitution that they had to pay. So that also goes into goes into effect as to why Jen Shaw and the Chrisleys are a little bit different. Also, the Chrisleys went to trial. I believe they have to turn themselves in next week. What was it, the 17th, the 18th? They have sometime next week they do have to turn themselves in in Florida. So I know right now they're also, they're on appeal for legal reasons. Uncertain of how that's going to play out. I know they were trying to fight having to serve time. They wanted to be out while they were fighting their appeal. Unclear whether or not that'll be allowed. They may have to start serving their time and then um, also be in the appeal process. But we'll see. Um, So... Another thing that I wanted, well, yes, the Chrisleys and Jen Shaw are very different. The Chrisleys had to go to trial. They took a gamble and they lost, right? Even though they don't have like victims the way Jen Shaw has victims, Jen took a plea deal. She was facing up to 50 years. It wasn't likely that she was going to get the full 50 years that she was facing, but she cut a deal. She They dropped the money laundering, the conspiracy to commit money laundering charge, kept the conspiracy to commit wire fraud charge, and she got them to reduce their her sentence. She was smarter. It's unfortunate, though, because she was going around saying that she was going to stand up for all these people that can't fight for themselves, and then, you know, she decide, decided she was going to help herself at the end of the day. 
But that's the difference between the Chrisleys and Jen. Jen took a plea deal to get less time. The Chrisleys decided to go to trial, tried to go up against the feds, and they lost. They took a gamble and it did not pay off. So now there's some confusion around the five years of supervised release. People seem to be confusing that with house arrest. Jen Shaw is not on house arrest. It's basically like a federal probation after you get out of jail, after you get out of prison, rather. So supervised release happens after you get out, not in place of your current sentencing, if that makes sense. So parole is served in place of your prison time. So if you get released on parole, it's usually because you're released early and you have, you know, a certain amount of time that you're technically still supposed to be in prison, but you got released early for usually it's good behavior, but you still have time that you can technically serve. That's why you can't break parole and you have to check in with your parole officer and all of that sort of stuff. So you still have to serve time, but if you have a history of good behavior, you do good acts of contrition, all of that stuff, you know, you're helping all the homeless and do those in the prison, then you can get out early and you're on parole for the remainder of your sentence. But that can be revoked if you don't abide by the conditions of your parole that's set forth by a parole board, right? So a prisoner can request parole after a certain amount of time, and then a parole board will consider it, and then they set those conditions if they approve it. Um, But it's a board that makes that decision, whereas supervised release is only served after you've completed your prison time and are out of prison. I guess it's similar. It's very similar to parole. Um except you don't actually get to get out of prison early necessarily. and But you do still have like a parole officer and that you have to report to and you have to continue to maintain good behavior. Um, you have to make sure you don't get into any trouble and otherwise you can end up back in prison. And that's usually, that amount of time is set by the judge at sentencing. So the judge determines how much supervised release you have to keep up. So how much after, how much time after prison you have to still be a good person and make sure you don't continue to con the elderly. Usually people get like one to five years of supervised release after prison. Jen Shaw got that full five years, um, that full, the maximum uh, supervised release that people usually get. Teresa Judice also had supervised release. She only had two years. Um, and she served that once she got out of prison. And it's strict. Like, Teresa got in trouble. She, she got two traffic violations. One of them, I think she was on her phone, and she got pulled over for that. And then a second one was about, like, a, I think it was, like, a bad turn that she made, a bad traffic turn. And she got in trouble for not immediately reporting those. I think you have 72 hours to report them. Otherwise, you do get in trouble, and that's a slap on the wrist. And they can be like, lock her back up. But Teresa was sentenced to 15 months in prison. She only ended up serving 11 because of the good behavior that she was exhibiting from prison. You know, she was doing yoga. And you still have to serve majority of your time, but you can get released early, get a little time shaved off if you do, you know, you get released on parole if you do exhibit good behavior. It's not like jail where you can get a lot of time taken off. You usually get like the tail end, like a small fraction of whatever time you have left. Teresa got 15 months. She uh, only served 11 months. Jen Shaw has six and a half years. So I think the lowest she'll likely have to serve is five years if she exhibits that good behavior. So... That's probably not going to happen, though, because she's not good at, at being good. She's not good at being a she's not good at good behavior. She's very good at bad behavior. So I'm pretty sure she's going to end up staying there as long as she can stay there. 
and she does still have her supervi- her mandatory supervised release afterwards. But again, it's not house arrest, um, which some people were confusing it with. They're like, oh, she's going to be stuck at home. No, she just basically has to check in with her officer and make sure she's continuing to be a good person and making sure she doesn't have any infractions. And anytime she has a run-in with law enforcement, she'll have to run it by her parole officer and hopefully she doesn't do anything else to get her thrown back in the slammer. Those is the updates on Jennifer Shaw. She does have to turn herself in by February 17th, so we'll see. She is requesting the Elizabeth Holmes Prison Facility, which is in uh, Bryan, Texas. It's minimum security. It's like a Martha Stewart-styled prison. We'll see. So Lisa Rinna has officially announced her exit from the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, that's where I want to be. So she released a statement to people saying that after eight years, she's officially moving on from the show. I'm hearing that she actually quit after the reunion, but she wasn't allowed. Bravo didn't allow her to make to announce the decision until now, probably because now contracts are starting to go out. I don't think that there's any truth to this rumor floating around that she decided to peace out because she was asking them for $2 million and because they didn't want to give her the $2 million, she peaced out. And so people are like, oh, well, Bravo obviously didn't want to pay her the $2 million because she's not worth the $2 million. I don't think that that's true. I know Kyle's the highest paid on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and I don't believe Kyle even makes $2 million. I think Kyle makes a little over a million. So I would think Rena would fall just a little below Kyle as the second longest standing cast member on Beverly Hills. Everybody else is a little newer, right? Garcelle's newer, Sutton's newer, Crystal's newer, Diana's probably not coming back. Dorit and Erica are probably right in line below them. I would say it's it's definitely Kyle, and then it's Rinna, and then it's Erica and Dorit, and then the the three newer ladies. It usually goes by seniority. I think Candy on Atlanta is the highest paid, and I think she re- rings in somewhere around that $2 million number. I don't know if that'll continue to stay, though, because Atlanta has kind of been circling the drain for the past two seasons. So I don't know if it's willing. they're willing to kind of keep fronting that bill for Candy. I don't know if people, like, we've seen Candy's story, right? And I think at some point, like, we've we've seen your story and it's time for you to move on. I don't know if Candy's still bringing it to the point where she would need to continue to get paid such a hefty paycheck, but Atlanta was one of the highest rated, and Candy definitely brought star power, and she's been the longest standing on that show, so that makes sense that she would make that high of a number. I don't think the Beverly Hills ladies are pulling in that kind of dough, though. They came, a, they came a lot later than Atlanta, and I don't think their ratings were as high as Atlanta. Now I think that they are. I don't think Rena was asking for $2, $2 million. Um, I mean, I would think she probably wanted some sort of pay increase if she did continue to stay. I just know with contracts, there's usually a certain percentage that you're allowed to get increased in pay from one contract to the next or from one season to the next. So, you know, it's... Un- there's usually a cap on it. And if she's currently bringing in about one mil, let's say, I highly doubt she's going to be like, double it and I'll come back. I just think she's tired. I think the last couple of seasons have really been rough. I think people come for her so hard. People come for all of these women so hard over the dumbest things. So it's like, yeah, if you're not making two mil per season, why wouldn't you be over it? 
or you just kind of, you know, fall in line and do whatever the fans on Twitter want you to do. And then if you do that, then they won't beat you up and you kind of just don't make waves. You don't ruffle feathers. I feel like Dorit kind of fell into that this past season a little bit. She kind of had moments where she found her voice. But, you know, I feel like Dorit's been phoning it in a little bit lately. And I think it's because she was loved in the Denise season, the Denise's last season when she was fighting with Brent, when Scissorgate was happening. People turned in in favor of Dorit, and I think she liked that, and I think she didn't want to continue to ruffle feathers because people did not like Dorit at the beginning. In her first few seasons, people really disliked her, and now they kind of feel like she's boring, but like that's what people do. They like bully these women into not having opinions and not wanting to ruffle feathers and not wanting to get called out over stupid stuff because people get so sensitive and so worked up over it. And so it's like, is it even worth it? You know, I know Bethany, when she quit the second time, she was like, I asked them for an impossible number of money and I knew they weren't going to be able to give it to me, but I walked. Maybe Rena did the same thing. I just don't realistically see her asking for $2 million. I think she was like, I'm good. I'm going to take a break. I'll give them a chance to miss me. And then I'll come back strong, like Tamara Judge, like Heather Dubrow, like Nene, like Bethany. Rinna was a legend, and Rinna will stay a legend, okay? I believe Erica Jane is correct when she said that Lisa Rinna is the GOAT of Beverly Hills. Greatest of all time. I think she far, uh, is far superior to Lisa Vanderpump. I think she's superior to Kyle Richards. I like Kyle. I liked what Lisa brought to the show, Vanderpump. But I think Lisa Rinna is definitely... The GOAT, the greatest of all time on Beverly Hills. Like her, dislike her, whatever. You're going to miss her, okay? You're going to miss her. And you're going to be begging for her back when the show gets a little flat. Okay. I'm already predicting. If they don't bring back Brandy, then I just don't think. I don't see it. I, I don't see the show really being strong without Rinna. Rinna was the perfect villain. She was, you know. It's going to be interesting to see Erica's position because it's not like there's a separation. I know when I talked to Teddy on the podcast, Teddy was like, I hope to see some sort of separation between Erica and Rinna if they both come back. But in this case, we now know Rinna's not coming back. So I'm like, ooh, we're going to have to see what happens with Erica because it's not like she has Lisa to even bounce off of. She's going to be a lone ranger all on her own. Brandy, I do think, needs to come back. The only thing that's making me question it is I know Beverly Hills was supposed to pick up production at the end of January, at the end of this month. And Brandy's supposed to be filming Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip Season 4 with Peacock. So apparently they're looking to bring back Brandy Glanville, Eva, and Phaedra, which was a great trio on Ultimate Girls Trip 2. I don't know if I necessarily wanted to see them all back together again. Um, but... Yeah, I'm hearing Ultimate Girl Ship Season 4 might have a mix of Season 2 and Season 3. Like, people, repeats that are coming back. Or it's supposed to be another ex-wives club. There are a lot of rumors, but it does sound like Brandy, Eva, and Phaedra are going to be coming back. Of all the rumors that are out there, that seems to be pretty legit. And I believe it seems to be pretty legit that Caroline Manzo is joining this Ultimate Girls Trip as well. I don't believe Jill and Dorinda are going to be on season four, but it does appear that it's going to be an ex-wives club similar to season two. So maybe they're doing like current ex, current ex. So I'm curious who else they might bring in for a season four. Maybe Leah, because Leah's an, an ex from season three. 
a former housewife from season three. Heather and Whitney are technically still on unless they give Heather the boo. <laughs> um, Giselle and, oh, well, Portia. There's Portia. Giselle and Robin are still current cast members. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll wait and see. But if Brandy is filming Ultimate Girls Trip season four, that's supposed to begin production, I believe, around the 20th. And it looks like they're having the ladies block out 10 days for the trip, usually a day of travel before and after. And then what, seven, eight days of actual filming. I believe they're going to, is it Morocco? I don't remember where they're going off the top of my head, but it's going to be an international trip and it won't be at the Berserkshires. So we'll have to wait and see. We shall see. Okay, let's talk about Prince Harry's book. Oh, but my point in bringing that up is if Beverly Hills is supposed to pick up a production at the end of this month and Brandy's going to be filming Ultimate Girls Trip, I don't know if that's going to be a conflict. And, I mean, maybe they'll let her skip the first week of filming. Who knows? But we'll have to wait and see. I want Brandy back on both. Put her on Ultimate Girls Trip and put her on Beverly Hills. We need her, especially without Rena. We need Brandy. Prince Harry's book. It's called Spare. Um, and I want to spare you from having to read it. So I will make sure we go through it and we break it down on our Tuesday night lives, our Zach Pack unpacks. So we will be unpacking Prince Harry's book Spare. However, there have been a series of headlines that have begun to circulate throughout the interwebs. So I figured why not give you a brief little recap of some of the most redonkulous ones that are currently floating out there. I did a video that kind of gets a little deeper into all of these that's up on the YouTube channel, but I figured I would just wrap this up with like a little rapid fire of some of the the, the ones that I found the most ridiculous and funny. So, or just wild, really. Not even ridiculous and funny, but just like wild. So the first one is his claim, Prince Harry's claim that Prince William assaulted him. He's claiming that William grabbed him by the collar, ripping his necklace. He just ripped his pearls. Oh, my pearls. Ripped his necklace and knocked him to the floor. And apparently it was in a 2019 heated discussion over Meghan Markle where Prince William called Meghan or referred to Meghan as difficult, rude, and abrasive. And I'm just like, yeah, I believe Meghan Markle is probably difficult, rude, and abrasive. And I'm pretty sure he said it because, listen, if the brothers aren't on good terms, why would the brothers care much about the wives? Like, why would he be like, oh, I'm not close to my brother, but, like, I think Meghan Markle's so great. Like, I, listen, we've heard that Meghan has been known to be difficult and rude, and I'm pretty sure she can be abrasive. And I'm pretty sure being in the royal family, that doesn't help. So if you already come into a bit of a diva, it's not going to make you any less of a diva being part of the royal family. So I'm pretty sure William's like, yeah, I don't like my Playboy brother's new American girlfriend, like American actress girlfriend. I'm pretty sure Prince William was not too keen on that, okay? And so obviously with there being beef between William and Harry, I'm sure they had a scuffle. Scuffles happen between siblings. But the fact that he's airing this out, I'm just like, ooh, I'm kind of like got my wine, got my popcorn, and I'm kind of just like laughing through the mess. I love mess, but like when you're literally a prince and your brother is going to be the king, your father's the king, and like you're just going to like do this like National Enquirer style book, 
Also, like, you're complaining that the National Enquirer doesn't like you and Megan and that they're racist. How does this make you any better? Like, this is some National Enquirer type shit. That's what this book is. This is a trashy tabloid book. You're talking about being assault, physically assaulted by your brother because, what, you guys wrestled on the floor because your wife is a little rude? Okay. He also refers to William as his arch nemesis. He calls William my beloved brother and my arch nemesis, which is very ridiculous. I mean, your arch nemesis, like really, I'm pretty sure we all have beef with our siblings at some point, you know, like shit just, shit happens, okay? He also says that, um, what is he? He did, he was on GMA and he was talking to Michael Strahan and he says that there's always been like a weird competition between himself and Prince William. I don't know what the competition is because you were never in line. I mean, he's what seventh in line for the crown right now. What's the competition? What are they competing for? Harry's always the party boy, you know, playboy dating all the hot models. And Prince William was just, he was very different than Harry, you know? But he says that their competitive nature definitely played into their roles of being the heir and the spare. And he really leans into this, like, spare title. He's the spare. Just like, oh, God, Harry, we got it. Cry me a river. You're the spare to be the king of, you know, the royal monarchy. He does not like Camilla. Well, actually, before I get to Camilla, there was another piece headline that I read over the weekend. I'm, I forgot what uh, headline. What, God, my brain is just not working today. I haven't had enough coffee today. But the, um, oh my God, I totally drew a blank. <laughs> Sorry, it's the bleach. It's the bleach that's getting to my brain. Um, oh, there was a, an article. I don't remember the publication, but there was another article where Harry did clarify that him and his brother, Prince William, are circumcised. Circumcised. Apparently, there was a rumor about them not being circumcised. And he's just like, he's like, I just need to make it very clear that mummy made sure that we were both clipped. So, mummy made sure that they're clipped. And, I mean, I'm waiting for Spare 2, where he talks about how hung he is, or not hung. Like, I don't know. I just, or maybe that's not, you know, woke and feminist of him to talk about how big his dick is. Because clearly Meghan Markle's dick is bigger than his. So, he hates Camilla, right? He claims that he, he and his brother William were begging King Charles not to marry Camilla before their wedding. And I guess Prince Charles was like, nah, deal with it. This is your step monster. Take it. And Harry took it because he didn't have a choice. And so apparently he lost his father to Camilla and he lost his brother to Kate Middleton. Because that's the next, one of the next ridiculous ones is that he said, goodbye, goodbye, my brother. He says that William's wedding to Kate Middleton was his final farewell to his brother. He writes, I recall Willie walking back up the aisle. And as they disappeared through the door, into the carriage that would convey them to Buckingham Palace, into the eternal partnership they'd pledged, I recall thinking, goodbye. So he said goodbye to his brother at the wedding for good. Then he talks about drugs. Drugs, 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 drugs and girls. So he apparently did cocaine in high school. And he writes, at someone's house during a hunting weekend. Why is he not getting dragged for hunting? Why is Meghan Markle still allowing him to hunt? What is he hunting? Maybe he's hunting vegan deer. At this point, I wouldn't be surprised. He's hunting vegan deer while they fly on their private jets to go and save the climate. Climate change. 
Save the planet. Sorry. Um, so he writes, at someone's house during a hunting weekend, I was offered a line of cocaine. And since then, I've consumed some more, which I believe, I believe he's consumed a lot more. He says, it wasn't very fun. And it didn't make me feel especially happy as it seemed to have, have make others. But it did make me feel different. And that was my main objective, to feel, to be different. And I'm just like, the theatrics with this one, my goodness. To feel, to be different. Isn't, what did The weekend say? I can't feel my face when I'm with you. How is it that this makes you feel? How is it that cocaine makes you feel? What are you feeling? Excited? I've never done cocaine, so I can't speak to that. I've actually never done any drugs. I've smoked pot, not my fave, not a big pothead. Uh, I would rather have a martini or a no-filter wine. And I once did a very micro dose of mushrooms um, that didn't do anything on me because at that point I was already a little litty city off of some wine that it just it didn't do anything. So I think those are the only two drugs I've ever done. Weed and a microdose of mushrooms that was so micro, I didn't even feel anything. Nor did I have any sort of reaction to it. And I'm just like, I, that, now that there's medicinal mushrooms, I'm kind of like, I don't know, maybe I should give that a try. But I've never done cocaine. So I can't speak to Harry's experience about feeling feeling something and being different. But I'm just like, listen, you're a rich, privileged white dude that did cocaine in high school. That's hardly different. That's like right par for the course, okay? Next, you're going to say you're different because you married an American actress. And that makes you so different from most playboys, right? <sighs> then we get into the next one where he talks about losing his virginity. And I'm just like, wow. We're talking about how we're, we've got a circumcised dick. We did cocaine, have continued to do cocaine, but we've moved on from it because we just wanted to be different. And cocaine is clearly different. Now we're talking about losing his virginity to an older woman. She liked horses quite a lot and treated me unlike a young stallion. I'm like, really? She treated you like a young stallion? He says, quick ride. To which after she smacked my rump and sent me to grace. Among the many things about it that were wrong, it happened in a grassy field behind a busy pub. Like, what is this? Like, this is really airing, like, just, like, stuff that I'm just, like, it's just not something you would expect from a prince, right? A prince, like, Queen Elizabeth is turning over in her grave right now because she's just, like, oh, she's clenching her own pearl, clutching, clenching, clutching, clutching. You clench your butthole, you clutch your pearls. Okay, she clutch, she's clutching her own pearls from the grave right now. And she's going to rip them off the way William ripped off Harry's, right? It's just, it to me, it's kind of comical, and I find it funny. I love that she'd smacked him on his rump and sent him to grace. I'm just like, okay. But it was wrong that he slept with an older woman. It was wrong of her to take advantage of him. Oh, my. Then he talks about Kate and, and Megan and the beef that they had. And he claims that Kate and Megan got into it about the timing of the wedding rehearsal and about the flower girl dresses and that Kate was very upset with Megan. And it makes it seem like Kate was being a bit of a diva regarding their wedding. But apparently she was really upset because Megan said that Kate just had baby brain because of all of her hormones. And Kate was like, how dare you say that? Because you don't know me, bitch. Who gonna check me, boo? And Megan was like, not me, not me. Because Megan, you know, Megan's a good girl. She's not rude. She's not abrasive. She's not a diva. I remember Kate Middleton apparently made her cry. 
even though the, there were reports that it was the opposite. But to Oprah, she said, no, Kate made me cry because Kate got gangster on me at the palace. Like, okay, yeah, Kate's really the type that's about to throw down with you over what flower girl dresses. Girl, stop. Okay, then we get into Harry's fight. Oh, this one's fun. This one's one of my favorites. He gets a, he talks about his fight with Megan, okay? Because he they got into a fight, a scuffle as a married couple. He writes, maybe the wine went to my head. Maybe the weeks of battling the press had worn me down. For some reason, when the conversation took an unexpected turn, I became touchy, then angry, disproportionately slappily angry. He says that he was oversensitive that night and that he snipped at her. He snapped at her and spoke to her harshly and cruelly. Oh, a scuffle between a couple where you got drunk and you snapped? What? And then he writes, She was calm, but said in a quiet, level tone that she would never stand for being spoken to like that. He added, I nodded. She wanted to know where it came from. I don't know, she asked. Where did you hear a man speak to a woman like this? Did you hear adults speak that way when you were growing up? I cleared my throat, looked away, and responded, yes. I mean, these two could not be any more insufferable. Like, the drama, the theatrics, and just, like, really? Like, when you're going to tell me that she was calm as you were snipping at her, and she was just like, where did you hear a man speak to a woman like this? Really? And Kate Middleton made her cry? Really? Like, Megan is, like, there's no bigger victim in this book other than Megan, than Harry. Like, the two of them, like, I don't know who takes the bigger piece of cake for being victims in all of this. Prince Harry, who's white and rich and just signed a $100 million Netflix deal and a $20 million Spotify deal and his book deal with Random House. Or Megan. Like, also, a gorgeous, beautiful, thin, very light-skinned woman who also, who married into wealth and who came from wealth. Her father was wealthy growing up and took very good care of her, which you did not hear about in the documentary. You saw that her dad was, what, a weekend dad? And, you know, but then she was also a daddy's girl. So it's like, were, was he a weekend dad or you were a total daddy's girl? Because you, you make it seem like he was non-existent in your upbringing. And then you really seem to lean in when you were talking about how heartbroken you were that he was leaking things to the press. And listen, her dad's not great. Like, he's definitely thirsty and opportunistic and whatever. But, like, come on. Then we get into the Nazi costume, right? Because he has to bring that up. And he blames William and Kate for his Nazi costume back in 2005. Now, he was a 20-year-old kid. I get it. He was dumb. He was stupid. He was white. Whatever, right? You do. He did something stupid. Everyone does something stupid when they're kids. At that point, like, he moved on from it. He apologized for it. Like, it was wrong. But, like, okay, he was 20 years old and he apologized. And we can, I'm all about giving people grace to be better and learn better. And now he's anti-racist. And now, you know, he married a black wife. And, you know, he's making all of these strides to be better. And he's a better person. And now he doesn't snap at his wife when he gets drunk anymore because men don't talk to women like that. Well, now we're revisiting the Nazi costume, and he's saying that 
he was originally, you know, there was a toss up between whether he wanted to be a pilot for the party or whether he wanted to be a Nazi. Because obviously that's a very easily, you know, easy toss up. Do I want to be problematic tonight or do I not want to be problematic? I could be a pilot. I could be Tom Cruise or I could be a Nazi. You know, he said it was a toss up. So he phoned Willie and Kate and asked what they thought. And they both howled. Worse than Willie's leopard outfit. Way more ridiculous, which again was the point. So he says he was just trying to be ridiculous. He was just trying to be funny by wearing a Nazi costume. He was just being silly. And William thought it was funny. William and Kate thought it was funny. So, you know, obviously it's their fault. I mean, come on. It's stupid. Stupid, stupid, stupid. But he calls it one of the biggest mistakes of his life. I mean, I seem to think of one other mistake he's made a little more recently. But listen, he seems to be happy with his life choices. He apologized for the Nazi costume. I, just, I don't understand why we had to bring it back up and then blame William and Kate as the reason for why the Nazi costume happened. And just like, to me, it's just, uh, it was unnecessary. He talks about the book title Spare. And he says that it's titled Spare because his father, King Charles III, branded him the Spare the day he was born. He said, he reportedly said, Wonderful. Now you've given me an heir and a spare. My work is done. And he allegedly said this to his ex-wife, Princess Diana, back in 84. And it's stuck with Harry ever since that he's just the spare. Oh, my God. I mean, come on. Any parent out there will tell you they have an heir and they have a spare. Every parent has a favorite child or just a child that they love a little differently. And you never tell the spare that they're not the favorite, but you have a favorite. Like, come on. Like, this to me just seems like, you know, I love that he's going on a press tour and being like, I want to make up with my dad, my daddy, and my brother, Willie. It's like, well, then maybe don't write about your brother's Willie in the book and talk about how your brother threw you to the ground and how your brother said mean things about your wife and about how your father branded you the spare and it's lived with you or accusing your brother of making you wear a Nazi costume. Like maybe that's a great way. That's a great place to start is maybe not trashing them in a book that you're making a lot of money off of. Sounds like a great starting point. There was another article that I read. I think it was yesterday. No, this morning, actually, um, where... I guess there's a story in the book as well where he claims that Meghan Markle thought that Prince Andrew was the queen's assistant and that's their proof that she's never Googled the family before. Listen, I get, maybe you didn't know all of them. Like I didn't know all of them. I had to Google them and I was like, okay, let me look up the family tree, whatever. I wasn't fully encompassed in the royal family. But when you go into the royal, like I thought she Googled everything. How, so how is it that you're Googling everything? Like, wouldn't you want to know if, listen, we, when we date guys, we stalk their Instagrams, right? We know, like, I know if I'm dating a guy, like, I know his aunt's maiden name. Like, we do a deep dive. We want to make sure we know everything we can about them. And then we have to keep that shit on lowdown, right? If you're marrying into the royal family and you're, you don't know how to curtsy and you're having to be taught how to curtsy and you're Googling all the rules, don't you think a very plausible Google search would be like, hey, let me learn the royal family. If I'm marrying into this family, if even if you're dating them, right? Like if you had an opportunity to, if you were dating somebody, Google who the family members are, like, wouldn't you then think, okay, yeah, let me, let me make sure I know the situation, right? Like, I just, if I were dating Prince Harry, I would want to know. 
I would want to know everything about his family. That way I felt fully prepped and, you know, can brace myself for it. But of course they had to throw a dig at Prince Andrew because he's in the scandal with Epstein and he was caught, you know, with Ghislaine and with Jeffrey Epstein and he was enthralled in that whole scandal. So they had to throw a dig at him, right? And this was the best way to do it was Megan just thought that he was the queen's assistant because he was holding her purse. I don't know. Maybe he's holding her purse because that's his mom. Like, dumb. Dumb, dumb, dumb. I can't wait to read this book. We'll be breaking it down every Tuesday on the YouTube channel, the Zach Pack Weekly Unpack. I cannot wait to dive in. Um, We'll have to wait and see. The book comes out on Tuesday. I mean, listen, it's smart. The book comes out Tuesday, January 10th. It's smart. We're going to read it. We're going to talk all about it. Extra, extra, read all about it. I want to see how hung Harry, Prince Harry is. I'm going to buy the book. Meghan Markle is also reportedly going to be writing a book next, too. So I'm sure that'll be just as fun. And on that note, thank you guys for listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. As I mentioned, there is a bonus episode up on the YouTube channel right now where I talk about getting blocked by Heather Gay. Um, I talk about my DMs with Chef Stu. I talk about my day with Sutton and Evan Real and more about the details of that. So go and catch that. It's a fun bonus episode that has some tea. It has some of your favorite Bravo Lebs, but it's exclusive for members only. Memberships are only $2.99 a month. That's it for live streams, bonus episodes, behind the scenes vlogs, all that sort of fun stuff. You can go and check check that out right now. YouTube.com slash Just Plain Zach. That's my handle on YouTube, Just Plain Zach. Or you can just type in Zach Peter, Z-A-C-K-P-E-T-E-R, and you, I'll pop right up and you can subscribe and then become a member. It's $2.99 a month. That's nothing. And if you want to get Liddy City this weekend, order some No Filter Wine, obviously. Oh, actually, the No Filter Wine Holiday Collection sold out. I didn't say that on the podcast. I've said it otherwhere. But thank you, guys. I'm so grateful that you supported the wine and that it sold out. And I just I am eternally grateful. It sold out just in time for Christmas. So in less than three weeks. Our last 2021 um, fall limited edition can took three months to sell out. This one sold out in less than three weeks. So thank you guys. I love you. I appreciate you. You can order the regular classic collection at nofilterwine.com. All right, guys, I got to run, um, but I will talk to you all very, very soon. Bye.